Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Well, guys, listen, we're continuing the series from the book of Revelation, looking at the seven churches, and Jesus wrote them a letter. He wrote the letter through the Apostle John on the, on the Isle of Patmos. But before I get into that in just a moment, um, I just have some exciting um, news and an opportunity for all of us coming up this Friday. Everybody say this Friday. This Friday, October 9th. We're going to take some time as a church and uh, we're going to gather and we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to worship God and we're going to pray for our city. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for all the different elements. We're going to pray for revival in our city. God has set us here in this city to be um, a, a light on a hill. And if we don't pray for our city together, who will? If we don't ask God for revival, who will? If we don't pray that God would raise up new people within our midst to be a, a mouthpiece for Jesus in this hour and this time who will and we're going to do it and I believe in the power of worship I believe in the power of prayer and when you begin to worship in a city what happens is 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 that 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 presence of God begins to influence and so we're going to gather at 6 p.m. everybody say 6 p.m. at FCA football field and so we're going to do an outdoor event. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have a, a stage out there. There's going to be plenty of room for people to come and spread out. And we're going to seek the face of God together for one hour. For one hour. Jesus said, told his disciples, could you not pray with me for one hour? hour. If you could take one hour out of your day and you knew that if you prayed, it would transform things in the city in which you live, would you do it? Yes. And so let's together come out at, at FCA down at Car Street at the football field, and let's seek God together, let's worship together, and let's pray together. It's going to be an incredible, beautiful time. And from that moment, I believe God's going to do something and release something in our city in the name of Jesus. Amen? So listen, that, you're gonna, you'll get an email this, um, this week highlighting some of that, and you can park in the parking lot, walk across the side street to the football field. Everybody's going to be there. We're going to have signs out. We're going to have parking attendance there, and uh, it, it's going to be a great time. So this Friday from 6 to 7, we're going to pray together as a church. Amen? Everybody say amen. amen. Come on. Well, guys, welcome. This is a great day as we lean into the Word of God, and we, we are looking at these seven churches that were planted. The Apostle Paul started all of these churches in this area. He went to Ephesus and he planted a church. And we've talked about that several weeks ago. And, uh, and so he planted the church and we're, now we're about 30 years into these churches existing in the area. And Jesus writes a letter to them. And what's interesting about this letter is that this isn't just a letter to the specific church. This is a letter to all churches at all times and to all people, parts of churches in all times, and they speak to us. And how many know this, that the Word of God speaks to you and is relevant every time you read it, amen? And we know that the Word of God has inspired every bit of it, every word of it, and it's always applicable to our lives. And so we come to this passage, and we come to this letter that Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul who was banished to the island, island of Patmos and wrote all of the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is not, it's not called Revelation because it's the revelation of the Antichrist. It's called Revelation because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because here's, here's, the, big, here's the, the, the big billboard sign. It's all about Jesus. Amen? It's all about Jesus. Everything's amen. I heard that little kid say amen. Amen. It's all about Jesus. And so this book is all about Jesus. So here, these churches, seven churches have been planted. One church has planted another church, planted another church, and they've grown in the area. 30 years into this, something is not going really good in these churches. They're living in a very difficult culture, lots of pressure on them to conform, pressure to, to adopt things in their own theology that are wrong, pressure to, to, uh, to continue to worship and be part of the world, but also be a part of the church. Pressure to compromise sexuality, pressure to compromise all these different areas, false teaching, false people, all this is happening. And they, they, at one point they held the line, but over 30 years they drifted a little bit. Some drifted more than others. But now Jesus 
appears to the Apostle Paul on the Isle of Patmos. And what I love about this whole thing is that, you know, here's, here's John. Sorry, appeared to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. Here's John. He has walked with Jesus. He was friends with Jesus. John was part of the 12 disciples, but then Jesus had three of them that were close to him. Just like any leadership model, you're going to have, you're going to have you know, a, a large group of friends, and then you're going to have a smaller group of friends. And these, this, John was a part of Jesus' small group, three of them. And John was close to Jesus, and he heard Jesus pray things no one else heard. He saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration where, where you know, they had like a, a, a lunch break with Elijah and Moses that came back and hung out with Jesus. And, and, and John saw this. He was, he was so close to Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, he looks down at John. And who's John standing with? John's standing with Jesus' mother Mary. And he says, John, take care of my mom. Like, how, how many know this? Like, they, the person that you tell to take care of your mama is a pretty special person, isn't it? And Mary lived with John. And he took care of her. But John, he was a fanatic. He was a nutcase for Jesus. And he just preached. That's what he did. He preached and he challenged things and he challenged the, the religious system and he continued to preach that Jesus is the only way. He continued to preach that Jesus was the message and the, and, the, and the voice of life to all who would receive it. And they hated him for it. He was told to shut up. He wouldn't shut up. And so they tried to boil him alive and he didn't die. And then they sent him to the Isle of Patmos and there, 80 years old, John, his old friend Jesus appears to him. Shows up to him and he says, John, I want you to write this. I want, to, I want you to write everything I show you. So they hang out. And I, we don't know how long it took to write the book of Revelation. But this is part of it. We have letters to seven churches that Jesus writes specifically to them. And Jesus is challenging them and, and complimenting them because he's a good, good leader. Jesus is the founder of the church. He's the leader of the church. So how many know this? If that's the case, then he has every right to speak to us, right? He has every right to speak to us. He, he has every right to guide us. Listen, I, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't lead this church from a place of, you know, what do I want to do? I don't lead this place, this church from a place. I don't ask my wife, hey, Cheryl, what do you want to do at the church? Why? Because we're not the leaders. Jesus is the leader. So we ask Jesus, what do you want to do? How do you want to do something in our midst? What do you want to address through your word? And then if he says it, we say, you got it. And we do it because he's our leader, because his voice matters in the other voice, and he cares and he loves us deeply. Amen? So we come to this letter today. They've drifted. This church has drifted. And these, in these churches, a lot of things sounded good. They looked good. From the outside, they were like awesome. You know, they're like, man, that's really great. People were even proud to be a part of them. In these churches, they grew in difficult times. They grew in pressure times. But they began to drift. They began to lose their purpose of why they are followers of Jesus. And they kind of got sucked into the world of culture. But these churches that looked good from the outside... As you lean in a little closer, you realize they aren't very healthy. And Jesus wanted to speak to them because Jesus is, now hear me today, Jesus is all about bringing dead things back to life. He's all about bringing dead things back. He's all about bringing marriages that you thought were dead back to life. He's all about bringing areas and boundaries we've crossed and, and we think we, it's over. He's, he's, he is all about speaking fresh life and fresh breath into whatever it is that we're facing. He's about redeeming bodies and minds and relationships. That's what he's about. He is the way maker and he's the one who revives and breathes fresh life back into things that are dead. Amen? And so that's what he's doing. But it's important you understand you can't allow Jesus to bring things back to life until you realize something is dead. And these churches, they look good. The people were like, we're awesome. And Jesus is like, yes, but there are things that are dead. And because he cares and he cares for you and he cares for these churches, he wanted to address them. So they had come to the place of being unhealthy. They'd come to the place, they looked good, but they were not good on the inside. It's kind of like seeing a, a nice car. You think, man, this is awesome. And then you, you, you jump in it and you realize the motor doesn't work. It, it just doesn't make sense. It looks good. And so many times it, it's, it's what's called a knockoff. 
Anybody ever bought a knockoff? Anybody raise your hand? Come on, raise your hand. You ever bought, bought like, you know, fake, fake bands instead of Ray-Bans or Folkleys instead of Oakleys or, you know, um, I don't know what, they, what you call your Louis Vuitton fake bag, but just hold it up so we can see it real quick. I'm just, do that. no, just kidding. There's knockoffs. And I, I, you know, my wife and I, we love, we love to minister in other nations. We, we just love the nations of people and tongues. I love to, and the different languages. I, I, I just, I love to be around believers in other nations and just encourage and support them. But every time we go to a city, we go to the market because that's, that's one where the, where the food is that might make you sick, but it's cool to eat anyway. Um, it's where you go to find clothes you can't find anywhere else. And, and you, you know, it's just fun and you want to, you, know, you just want to get in the middle of it and be around it. But the same thing as you go there and you, th- you think, oh, oh, look, that's a Nike shirt for two bucks. Yes, I'll buy that. You get a little closer and then you're like, that says hikey, not Nike, right? <laughs> Looks just like one. Or you, or you, or you, you go to a, a place and you're like, man, I, I really, I, I want some, some familiar taste. And you're like, I need some Oreos. And, and you go and you find, you're looking for Oreos, but all you can find is a bag of things that says Boreos and everything else. It looks just like, but it's not real. There, there was one place that's, uh, it's called uh, Pizza, instead of Pizza Hut, it said Pizza Huh. They had, everything was the same. <laughs> I, I, that was this interesting. But the, the fact is this, that from a distance, you think it's good. You think it's the real deal. But as you get closer, you realize it's not. It's a knockoff. This is what Jesus addresses to this church. And this was a unique place, Sardis, the church in Sardis. That's where we're going to be today. Really unique city. They created the first gold currency that really revolutionized commerce and uh, it's called the, the Lydi- Lydian Slater. And it was, this, it was this gold coin that was, everyone knew the value of it. Before, you, you didn't know if this gold was pure gold, and so you'd weigh it. And then you didn't know if the, if the uh, scales were, were, were honest or not. But this, this, this minted coin from this city revolutionized. So the city grew, city exploded, wealth came into this city. And we know this church was a large church. It was, had probably some very successful wealthy people in the church and they looked good, man. They were busy, they were doing it, they were hot. It was, they were the coolest thing. And Jesus writes to them and begins to address something in them. And when you read it, you think, man, that's, that's a little, that's rough. I mean, uh, because if you were to probably visit this church, you say, man, it's awesome. They, they, they have the sweetest LED screen. I love it. And it's big. And, and listen, I, I like LED screens. I, I want a big one right here in the middle one day. But we'll just trust God on that. But the reality is this. I think churches should look awesome. Does anybody else think that? I think, I think, listen, we're going to be the church. We're going to do all things in excellence. We're going to glorify God. We're going to create an atmosphere that people can engage with God. You walk in our church and you're going to feel loved on, hospitable. Just like if you walked in my house, I'd want to create spaces and places that you feel loved, accepted, and that we say, yes, we are honoring God in excellence here for the glory of his name. And so they were doing it. They looked good. But then they get this letter from Jesus. And let's take a step and let's ask God that what he wants to say to us today and let's learn from what he said to them today. Because God wants to speak to us and he wants to challenge us. And these messages are challenging, but please understand me today. My heart, Jesus' heart is this. The reason why Jesus challenges us because he's a good leader. He's a good leader. And so these are one of these moments that Jesus is like, hey, listen, we need to have a conversation. We need to talk. You ever raised kids or teenagers and you kind of see stuff in their life and you're like, okay, all right. And you're watching and you're seeing it, you're seeing something pop up here, pop up there. And then finally you say, what? Well, I'm going to have to have a conversation. And so you sit down and you say, hey, we need to talk. And their eyes get big and they say, about what? And so you talk to them. But why do you do it? Because you're a good parent? Because you, you love them? Because you see so much more in them and that you think this area in their life that, that, if, you, that if, they just, if it goes unchecked that it's going to derail them. Why do you do it? Because you want them to be everything that you see that they could possibly be. That's what Jesus is doing. Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. 
To the angel of the church in Sardis writes, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Seven stars are the church's seven spirits. It could be messenger. And so this whole idea is the pastors, the messengers to the seven churches. But I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. Now listen to this, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds and finished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is, who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit, sorry, what the Spirit says to the churches. This church started off really good. They looked healthy. They were doing the right things, but they allowed culture to press in on them. They begin to compromise in some areas. They become apathetic in some areas. So Jesus being a good parent, a good leader, says, hey, I want to talk to you about some things today. And maybe that's what God wants to do in all of our lives today. He wants to talk to us about some things, not because he wants to hurt us or condemn us or make us frustrated or make us feel bad. No, he wants to talk to all of us about some things because he's a good parent and he wants us to be healed. And here's the deal. When God speaks to you about something, he offers the solution. When he reveals something in our lives that, that we're struggling with, he offers the solution. And he's like, it's me. Will you let me help you? And that's what he's offering to us today, and that's what he's offering to the church today. Jesus wants to meet us. He wants to transform us. Listen, we're living in a day and age where, where we as the church, it's time that we stand up and we are the light that shines bright. We are salt that makes this world better, and we are the ones who lean in when everyone else is leaning back. We don't give in to evil. Actually, Jesus says that we, because of who we are as the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. It is us who Will prevail against the gates of hell. Amen? And you need to know that. So Jesus calls us to that. So let's learn from Jesus and let's look at the prescription of Jesus that he gives to us into this church of spiritual health, how to achieve spiritual health and vitality. Number one, what does he say from this? He says, you need to live for God's approval, not man's praise. This is the first prescription for us. So many times we can get caught up in what people think. That's why he's, in, in Revelation 3.1, he says this, you have a reputation of being alive. In other words, you're really concerned about what everybody thinks of you, but you are blinded to the reality you are actually dead. They had missed the whole point of being a follower of Jesus. To them, it was about out, out, outward appearance, what people think, what people know us for. And this church valued their reputation over their own reality and they lost touch with what really was going on in their lives. Because their friends said, oh, you're great. Your friend says, you're such a great person. The people around said, that's such a great church. And you know that in the church there were probably, or had to be some symptoms of dysfunction. Maybe it was symptoms of decline Symptoms of the, uh, they had lost their purpose. Maybe things in their church were uh, false teachings were coming up and they weren't speaking to it or correcting it because they thought, well, what's the point? Because everybody thinks we're awesome, so why do we need to do anything? We just let it slide. It'll all work out. They didn't lead and they didn't speak to the things that were off. Because everyone spoke well of them, their reputation was, was great. People had the illusion they were great. They were busy. Maybe they were known, their leaders were known to hang out with, with important people in the city. You're like, oh, our reputation is amazing. But as you lean in, it wasn't. They weren't, they didn't measure up to the reputation. And the, church, and, and the truth is this, for us as people, churches, whatever it may be, attaboys, pats on the back, how we look on the outside, having the reputation of success, 
or even a season personally of great spiritual growth can hinder us. It can become our identity of what was and we lose the track that God has us on for what he wants us to be today. We stop growing and we can stop pursuing God. If we're not careful, these times of success, these moments of success, and the reputation that we have created about our faith or even faith as a church can, can keep us from growing and, and can allow our spiritual de- condition to decline because we've stopped doing what actually we need to be doing. We're more concerned about reputation than we are about what's actually happening on the inside. Success is a very, very difficult thing. It's very difficult. Most people think, no, no, what, tri- what really tries you is, is when you go through a hard time. Yes, it does, but actually success, if you're not careful, can anchor you to that moment in time and rob you from what God wants to do today. Proverbs says this, says fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. The real test of a man or a woman is when you get, you're awesome, you're great, you're such an incredible woman of God or man of God, and all of a sudden something happens, and you begin living from a moment, from a time, and you've can forget to keep growing and keep allowing Jesus to form you. They cared, this church cared more about what they were praised for instead of who they really were. And the truth is our reputation, now just hear me for a second, our reputation is what people think about us, right? But our character is what God knows about us. And so Jesus sees some character issues. And he says, hey, Let's have a talk. I want to bring some dead things back to life. Anytime we live for man's praise, listen, we can all be guilty of it. Of doing things to live for man's praise versus to live for God's approval. And we do it, maybe our image we try to to, to put on the outside. But what happens when you do that, we put our value system, it gets all just out of whack. And so instead of God being the, the reason why we live our lives and the approval in which we seek, all of a sudden we think, yeah, but, but this is more fun because man speaks well at me and then man, you know, pats me on the back and then I get, I get acknowledged publicly and while well, everyone thinks I'm something. So all of a sudden this begins, the, the approval of man, the praise of man begins to overcome our motivation to seek God's approval in our lives. The church in Sardis looked alive but they were dead. You know, I've heard a lot of times um, people who would just along, along the way, and I speak at some conferences sometimes too, and, and you know, well, people will say, you know what, my church is dead. Listen, if, if you've said that about this church, don't raise your hand because I, I, I believe God has a lot going on here. But some people say, listen, I came from a church and, and, and it was dead. And, and what I, What's interesting is I always think, what does that mean? You guys ever thought, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a dead church? I, I want to read you something about um, dead churches. Chuck Swindoll wrote about what we have in our minds about dead churches, right? So this is what he says. So when I say, I came from a church and it was dead, this is what we think about. And he's, it's funny, but I want to read it to you. He says, he says, this is about dead churches. The sanctuary is a morgue with a steeple. It's a congregation of corpse with undertakers for ushers and embalmers for elders and morticians for ministers. It's okay to laugh. It's fine. You can do that. Their pastor graduated from a theological cemetery. (laughs) They sing embalmed in Gilead and amazing grave, how sweet the ground. At the rapture, it's for sure they'll be the first to be taken away because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. (laughs) <laughs> they drive to church in one long, one long line with their headlights on. The church van is a black hearse and the church sign is a tombstone. And their church motto is, many are cold and few are frozen. <laughs> but that's what we think when we think of a, a dead church. It seems obvious. But a lot of churches, according to this passage, even ones that are dead, look alive on the outside. The church in Sardis looked awesome. It was maybe growing. They had 
buildings. They looked incredible. But even with all those things happening, and even in churches that we're around that are growing, they look good, all this, according to this passage, they could still be dead. Very challenging. Jesus actually told religious leaders of his time, he said, you look really good on the outside. Man, you look good. Man, look at that suit. And wow, that, that prayer shawl, is re- that's kicking. Where'd you get that out? I mean, they looked good. And they could pray the prayers. And they could, they, could, they could do the show. They could do it all. And Jesus said to them, you know what you are? You're whitewashed tombs. You're painted tombs. You look good on the inside, but on the Good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead bones. This is what he's talking to here. And when I read these words, I I hear the heart of Jesus. I can sense his heart. The, The church caring more about what others said than what he said. And Jesus was revealing this to them because his heart for them and for us is to live the life he's called us to live. And they weren't living it. So Jesus, being a good parent, being a good savior, says, come on, I want to help you experience life that you are seeking. He's letting them know, I see you, I know you, I care for you, I'm writing this letter to you. I want to breathe new life into you again. I want to breathe new life. I am am the resurrection and the life, and I want to bring things back to life in your life that have died. I want to infuse fresh hope, fresh faith. I want you to stop living in the external world of what everybody thinks and, and what we're caring about and start living in the fact that what I think and what I care about. Listen, all of us can be guilty of needing the approval of others. Man, we're living in a season now where it's like, you know, everybody is like, I don't you know, if something happens, should I say it? If I don't say it, should I post? If I don't post, if I, if I acknowledge, but I don't acknowledge it, like, We are consumed with what everybody thinks about us. And Jesus says, that's not going to get you anywhere. I believe that the word of God is sufficient for every day day of our life. I believe that if I am consumed with what Jesus thinks, I I will post when I sense I should and I won't when I think I I won't. And if you don't like it, take it up with Jesus because he's the one I will stand before one day, not you. Amen. All of us want the approval, and some of it's very natural in relationships and healthy to show affirmation to people and receive affirmation. That's, that's how God designed us. But when we begin to elevate man's affirmation and approval over God's, we, we really, we step into this thing called idolatry. We begin to worship what the world thinks about me over what Jesus thinks. We begin to worship what my, what my approval rating or the likes on my social or whatever. We begin to worship that instead of, Jesus, are you cool with me? He's like, man, you're my boy. I'm like, yes, that's all I care about. And we get consumed. Because praise and criticism are real. I mean, we live in a world of cancel culture. Criticize you because you don't agree with me. Or because I don't agree with you. There's no civil. It's just constant. It's constant. It's kind of like um, this. There's a, there's a, a story of a, of a young pastor. He, he takes over a church that had, been, that had been around for like 30 years. And the old pastor calls him. And he said, hey, welcome. So glad you're pastoring. He said, listen, I, I pastored that church for, for many, many years. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Go out back. There's a cemetery. And go to Mr. McClellan's grave and find it. And when you get there, I just want you, I, this one, I want you to compliment Mr. McClellan. So the guy's like, uh, okay, all right. He goes, but when you do it, come back and call me. So the, the young pastor goes out and he finds Mr. McClellan. And he's so, hey, thank you for all that you've done. And thank you for being so faithful. And, uh, you know, hey, thank you for, you know, for the steak you bought me the other night. And he's just trying to find compliments. He didn't know. So he's doing it. He comes back in. He calls the old pastor. And the old pastor, did you do it? He says, yeah. And the old pastor says, well, what'd he say? He said, well, uh, nothing. He goes, okay, good. Now I want you to go back and I want you to criticize him. I know you don't know Mr. McClellan. I want you to criticize him and you tell him like up and down what you don't like about him. Make stuff up about him. You just criticize him. And the guy's like, okay, all right, pastor. So he goes out, does it, comes back, calls the old pastor, says, I did it. 
And the old pastor said, well, what'd he say? He said, nothing. Well, why? Because he's dead. And then the old pastor said this, until you're able to die to both compliments and criticism, you'll never be able to lead this church. Same way in our lives, until we die to both compliments and criticism, we will never be able to fully walk in what God's called us to walk in. Because the tr- people are going to fluff you up for their own good, to leverage you or to leverage something in you. They're going to try to tear you down. You can make decisions to get their approval and praise of men, or you can or not make decisions because you want to avoid the criticism of men. The problem is you're led by man, not God. And that's what was happening in this church. And Jesus wants us to know today, listen, follow me. Care about what I think about you. The enemy wants to derail you and speak over you what you're not. You're a failure. You've, you're filthy. Your family's terrible. You came from this and you'll never amount to anything. And, and, and he wants to pull you down with criticism. Or if that doesn't work, he'll, he'll switch the other side and he'll get somebody to praise you and to accept you into a certain group. And, oh, wow, they love me there. They accept me there. And so you, you alter your life to, to cater to what they're saying so that you can be accepted because you're desperate. Listen, Jesus wants you to know this. He approves of you. He loves you. He has called you to make a difference and you will never find your purpose with anybody or anyone else in any place until you first find it in his approval. At the end of the day, there's only one voice that matters and that's the voice of God over you. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, God's voice matters the most, not man's voice. One day you'll stand before God and you, your friend group won't be there. Your social media followers won't be there. Your mom won't be there. Your dad won't be there. Husband won't be there. Wife won't be there. Your kids won't be there. But you'll be there. And God will be there. And what we want to hear is God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. So today, may we allow our, the Lord to lift our eyes from the people to himself. And when you do that, this is, this is the cool thing. When you make that decision and ask Jesus to help you, he then begins to breathe new life back into the things in your life that are dead. Because he's a good God. We live for Jesus and not man. The next prescription is number two. How do we maintain health and vitality? Stay awake and be on guard. This church in Sardis had been falling asleep. Revelation 3, 2, he says this, wake up, wake up. And I mean, this, in, in, in the Greek, this is a shout. It's, it's like this, this alert. When I see this, when I read this, I see this picture of Jesus running in the front door of the church. And they're dead. They're laying, they're laying there on the floor, barely breathing. He grabs them. He yells them. He shakes them. says, wake up. They had been, they, they had lost their, they had put their guard down. They'd been lulled to sleep by pride and ego and culture and the good life. And, but Jesus hasn't given up on them. He's holding them. He's, sitting, he's putting smelling salts under their, their nose. They come on, come on, wake up, wake up, wake up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't go to sleep. Stay with me. And they had been lulled to sleep. Really, many scholars believe and know this because they were successful, because they had the image of looking really big and good and great. They've been lulled to sleep through a lot of different things. And many of them believe they were living from yesterday's victories. And they were like, you know what? Yesterday's victories is good for today. Yesterday's experience with God is good for today. My prayers of yesterday are okay today. I don't really need to pray today because everybody's speaking good of me anyway. So they were lulled to sleep. And they slowly put their guard down and Jesus comes in and says, come on, come on, wake up. How many know this, that falling asleep, is, it's a process, right? So it's rare that all of us are just like, you know, you just decide at the end of the day, okay, it's sleep time and then you go, you go to sleep. It's a process. So you slow down. You maybe get some comfy clothes on, maybe get a cup of tea. You begin to relax, right? You chill out, you zone out, you scroll through, like you do like the zombie eyes and you scroll through like whatever Instagram and your, your brain's like slowly like shutting down and then you relax more 
and then you surround yourself with darkness, and then you go to sleep. This is exactly what happened with this church. It was a process. Do you know why? I know that people fall asleep when they stop moving and they get comfortable because I see some of you every Sunday actually do the same thing right here. <laughs> Just saying, it's a process, that's all. You get all comfy. Anyway, it's okay. I love you anyway. Listen, I remember, I remember a man, I grew up in, uh, in small, small town churches, and it was, we called, um, out of respect, instead of mister, we would say brother or sister, you know, it sounds really strange today, but it was normal back then, but there was brother Ron, and uh, he always fell asleep, especially on our Sunday night services, and so he'd, he'd sit there, and I just loved watching him as a kid, and his, I could see his eyes close, and they'd close, and he'd get here, and then when his head did this, he always went like this, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> <laughs> so like brother Ron falling asleep was a process right but he woke up quick Jesus listen you, we can fall asleep and it's a process and we maybe make some compromises but in a moment Jesus can wake you up and bring new life back into you he can and that's what he wants to do and that's what he's doing here to this church he's inviting them he's saying come on wake up I believe in you. You got so much in front of you and many of us in this season. My friends, we just need to be honest. Many of us have been lulled to sleep. So we, we think sometimes it, it, falling to sleep, yes, it's getting comfortable, but also falling to sleep and beginning to die is because we take our eyes off of what we needed to. And many of you through, through COVID, through riots, vic, being a victim of a riot, through division, through injustices, through mask, no mask, politics, culture, news, we have been, our eyes have been lifted and we've been lulled to sleep. And Jesus is here, come on, wake up, wake up, wake up. You as a church have a mission. You as a church, like you're the only voice that I left the gospel with you. Wake up. And if we're not careful, we can be lulled to sleep to what God's called us to be and his purpose in our lives because of these other things. Listen, when our, when our kids were younger, you know, you, you, wake, you wake the kids up in the morning. And, um, and Cheryl, she'd wake them up most mornings. She'd go in, hey, sweetheart, time to wake up. She'd rub their back. And, and, and you know, she's just so caring and loving. As a matter of fact, she used to bring them breakfast in bed every morning. Until, until we were talking, I was like, this is not going to turn out well long term, okay? <laughs> but it was, it's just her nature. She's just so giving, so loving. And so, so, you know, mom wakes them up. It's different. It's just, it's more peaceful. And every time she walks in, she gradually turns the dimmer up. And the first time she does this, second time turns the fan off. Third time, you know, rubs their head. Fourth time rubs their feet. And they, you know, wake them up slowly. And, you know, when, when you're like 13, 14 year old or kids, you, listen, and that's how she did it. Now, how many know this? Mom's way of waking the kids up was different than dad's way, Right? Listen, when I, I, I go in there, she's like, hey, can you get the kids? Yeah, I got the kids that walk in. Hey, guys, wake up. Like, come on, let's wake up. A lot of times I sing because it's morning time. It's, you know, I'm happy. And so I'm saying, hey, wake up. Come on, everybody, let's wake up. And I bounce them on the bed a couple times. And that's what dads do. And they're, they're up. And so they have one chance to get out of that bed within their own power. Okay, one chance. I'll be back. And when I walk in there, sometimes I walk in, I'll be like, hey, are you awake? And all of a sudden they'll be like, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. But if they're not, I'm going to grab a leg and that child's coming out of this bed and I'm going to go to the other room and I'm going to jerk some covers off and, oh, stop. Why, it's time to get feet on the floor. Come on, stand up, stand up. They stand up. Okay, you're awake. Good. Wake up. And here's Jesus. He's like, come on. This is, I, I've, I've been patient. I've been kind with you. Enough is enough. This is dad saying, dad's walking in the room saying, hey, you need to wake up. You need to wake up right now. You need to wake up. And this is what's going on. They look good. They sounded good. They have pictures of success and memories and what they all used to do. 
They were living to be known instead of making Jesus known. They were really close to death, but here's the good thing. They weren't dead yet. And Jesus gives them the next instruction, prescription to come back to health and vitality. He says this, you need to strengthen what you still have. Strengthen what you still have. Says in verse 2, strengthen what remains. So he could see there was a glimmer of light. Listen, you've been lulled to sleep. Yes, yes, I know, church, you've been here. But listen, there's a glimmer of light. And regardless of how far you've gone, regardless of where, where things have died, there is still a glimmer of light. You can still strengthen what remains. And is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. What is he saying? He was like, you have so much more to live for. You, have, you, have, you, are, you are not walking in what I have plans for you. And I've got an adventure for you. I've got impact for you. I've got, I've got things that you're going to do. I've got people you're going to transform. I've got, I've got things for you. You have fallen asleep and I, you have unfinished business. And so you just need to strengthen what remains. There have been many things that were that had died. And so here's Jesus saying, strengthen what remains. I know there are a lot of things that have died in our lives, relationships. We've stumbled, we've fallen, we've drifted from God, we've sinned. And you feel like, you know what, it's just too much. I just, I'm, I, I can't do it. And we're living through everything that died. We're living through the, the mark of death in these certain areas we see. But Jesus is telling them, listen, listen, right now I'm telling you, do not view your, the future of your life through that which has died, that which has been, been through hell and back, that which you've, you've given up, that which you've stumbled and sinned and made mistakes. This is what I'm asking you to do. Start strengthening what remains inside of you that I can see. Start fanning that flame of passion that you know is there and begin to fan the flame in your own life. Keep, get back to what I've called you to be. Get back to the place that you can be with me and be a part of me. And as you do that, this is what God does. As you strengthen what remains, he begins to bring life back to that which was dead. He does it every time. And this is what he's doing for them. Jesus said, come on, just come to me. Receive, allow me to help you in whatever it is. Stop living from what was your mistakes of the past and start living for what is today. So many times we believe the narrative over our lives of our mistakes. Of the, it becomes our identity and Jesus says, stop it. Don't live from where you failed. Live from where you are right now and strengthen what remains and I'm here to help you. The church at Sardis had been sleeping almost dead. They were comfortable, convenient Christianity, mediocre faith. They weren't radical in any way. They were, they, their, their faith was invisible. But he says, hey, you still got some air in your lungs. I've still got a pulse. I still have a plan for you. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give up because you have unfinished business in the sight of my God. And I'm going to make sure you get there. That's his encouragement. Jesus said, if you want to live a life of spiritual health and vitality, live for God's approval, not man's. Stay awake and be on guard. And don't give in to, to death. Strengthen what remains in your life. And the last one is this. Live with eternity in mind. Live in, with eternity in mind. He says in verses 4 through 6, he says this, Yet there are some in the church and Sardis who have not soiled their garments with evil or their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels, look at this, that they are mine. This is the moment we're living for. This is the moment right here, that they are mine. Listen, when you have an eternal perspective, it changes the way you live your life. It changes the way you, you lead your home. It changes the way you fill your free time. It changes what you allow to entertain you. It changes what you do with your life. 
It changes what, how much you give. It changes how much you love. It changes how much you serve. You see the world around you differently. You see, the, you see life differently because you've got one finish line, and that is eternity. You will step from this life into the next, and at that finish line is where it all counts right there. And Jesus said, I want you to listen. I, I've, I've, got, I've got some things coming. I want, you to, I, I want you to stand beside me, stand with me. I love this whole idea that Jesus is standing, and he's standing before the Father. And in my mind, and, I, and I've done this several times here, you know, when, when you picture God creating mankind, and he forms out of the dust of the earth, he forms Adam. And Adam opens his eyes for the first time. He sits up and he sees his creator. And remember, Adam was made in the image of God. And so he sits up, he opens his eyes, he looks in the face of God who's right in front of him. What is the expression on God's face in your mind? Tell me right now. He's smiling. I've never, I've never asked somebody, tell me in your, in your mind. And they've never said, oh, he's ticked off. He's like, Adam, why don't you clean yourself up? You got mud all over you. He like, you know, he's mad at you. Nobody's ever said that. Everybody says he's smiling. This is the moment that as you take these steps of becoming healthy again and re-energizing these decisions of faith that you made, that you will stand before God with his son, Jesus. And God, God with a little smile, be like, hey, Jesus, who you got with me? And Jesus goes, hey, he's mine. He's mine. He's so excited. He's mine. She's mine. She's mine. And God's like, I know. Isn't it great? Like, come on. Like, this, this is what eternity is about. And Jesus says, I want you to live your life with eternity in mind. Yes, we're going through a lot as a country. Yes, we're, 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 we're going through a lot with the upcoming elections. And th there are things on the line. I, I get it. I know it's important. I know it. But I will tell you this, the importance of that does not ever trump the importance of the kingdom of God, ever. And the moment, and the moment you get there is the moment that you short circuit and lose out on what God has for you. Regardless of what happens, regardless of, of what, what the nation goes through, the world goes through, yes, we pray. Yes, we are stewards of this country, so we, we need to, to engage in that. We need to do something as believers. We, we need to. We need to have our voices heard. We need to be a light. We need to, to be a, a model for a world that's dying and thinks their way is right. But really, on the inside, they're hurting. They're broken. They're empty at night. They lay their heads on, their, on, on the pillow at night, and they're, they are, they're weeping and broken on the inside because they haven't found the reason why they were created was to, was to know their creator. We are the ones that set the example this is what it means to be a child of God. We're the ones that are to provoke the world to jealousy that they would want to come and know our God. Yes, we're the ones that are in this country. God placed us here to make a difference and to be involved and to be a voice for the innocent, to be a voice for the unborn and to be a, a voice for what marriage is and to be a voice for our young adults to grow up and understand that there's a light that's going to guide them. The church better lift its voice or the next generation is going to think the church has no voice. But here Here's the reality. There is nothing, nothing greater than the kingdom of God. And we must always keep our eyes focused on that. The seduction that lures the church to sleep is to get us occupied with anything, anything but the purpose of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the solution to a hurting and broken world. What should roll off the mouth of a Christian when you're faced with something that's broken in the world should not be some other plan. It should be Jesus is the first answer. And the second answer, okay, it's practical. How do we figure this out? Jesus is the first answer. There's a pastor friend of Nathan's in Louisiana. This is what he said. I mean, we, we live in turmoil. We live in, in division, and it breaks my heart. 
The enemy is at work. And, and unless you acknowledge that, you're, you're going to be fighting people. But Jesus, or the, Paul said in Ephesians 6, people are not the enemy. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but a power and um, principles and, high, and principalities in high places. But his friend said this. He said, you know, it took Jesus to bring mankind back to God. It took Jesus. The only answer to bring mankind and to unity with mankind can be Jesus. It's the only thing. And we need to know that. We must recognize this. The church at Sardis had lost the realization that that's the answer. It's not your programs, not your building. Nothing wrong with programs and buildings. It's not how busy you are, not your prayer meetings. Nothing wrong with busy and prayer meetings. They had lost the understanding that the solution to a broken, hurting world around them is the only message the church has been gifted with, and that is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the message that Jesus, he declared himself. It's the message John the Baptist said, repent and be baptized. Come to Jesus. It's the message that Jesus met the woman who was called into adultery, and he, and he, and he pushed away all the religious nuts that were trying to condemn her, and he said, sweetheart, where, where are those that condemn you? And she looked around and they were gone. He says, now rise and go and sin no more. He called her to a new place. That is our, our mission and our purpose. It must be on the forefront. Because if it doesn't, we're going to be lulled to sleep by that which doesn't matter in eternity. What does God want to do in your life? You know. What does God want to speak to you today? The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. What areas have you drifted? What areas have you been lulled to sleep? What areas have you set over? Have you been consumed with being accepted from a particular group of people? And so you, you, you do everything you can to make sure that they, they know you're with them. Because if you don't, man, they're, they're going to not like you or they're going to criticize you. And you're, oh, no, I, I, can't, I can't do that. Or Are you more concerned about being connected and letting the world know that you're connected to a political party than you are letting the world know that you're connected to Jesus and you offer them hope? If the answer is yes, we have gotten our value system out of whack. Jesus is number one. Mission of the church is number one. The call of God on your life, number one. Do not let this world rob that from you or distract you and lull you to fall asleep, to become laying, drooling at the mouth, on the floor, with a life to live and things to do that God's called you to do, people to reach. Don't let that happen. Let's set our sights on eternity, and let's be the church God's called us to be. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for your word that speaks to us, that challenges us, that alters us. Lord, forgive us today for listening to the voice of approval from man or groups or political parties or whatever it may be. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for idolatry. Forgive us for forgiving our emotions to something before we gave them to you. Forgive us for giving our money to something before we gave it to you. Forgive us for aligning ourselves with a cause before we aligned ourselves with you. Forgive us, O oh God, for we have been guilty of caring about our reputation more than we have caring about you. So cleanse us today. Lord, today we make a decision that we're going to live for you. We're going to remain strong for you. Lord, today, that which has fallen asleep, we receive from you the power of the Spirit that wakes us up, that says, wake up, and we will respond like Brother Ron. Amen. We're going to wake up today. We say yes to the wake-up call. We spring out of bed right now today. We put our feet on the floor. Whether we feel like it or not, we crucify our flesh in the name of Jesus and we stand strong on your word and on your truth. And we continue to walk forward as the people you've called. We say yes to the wake-up call. 
Lord, we say yes to fanning the flame of what remains in us. God, we're going to focus on what is alive in us. Maybe for some today, the only thing that's alive, maybe today it has sparked something in you that you think that reminds me of the life I used to live. That reminds me of a life I don't have. That's a flame and a flicker and a light in my soul that I haven't felt in a long time. Today, God, we're going to fan that flame and we're going to strengthen that flame. And Lord, we choose today to anchor our lives to eternity. We're going to live for what is coming. How soon? I don't know. But we want to anchor our life to that. We want to live for eternity. So Lord, we say yes to you. If that's your heart today, just say yes, Lord. Just tell them. Come on, let's say it together. Yes, Lord. Say it again. Yes, Lord. Say it one more time. Yes, Lord. We say yes to you. We receive your grace. We're so grateful for a good, good parent you are that speaks to us and then breathes new life into us and holds us and hugs us. Say, come on, let's keep going. We thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you say, Jason, I don't know Jesus Christ. I don't know him. And I need to give my life to him because I know, I know that something's not right in the world, that the world's flipped upside down. I'm seeing darkness and evil. And I know that without Jesus, I'm going to die and go to hell. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, nobody's looking around. Right where you are, you just raise your hand right now. This is going to change your life forever. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, keep them up. There's bold people before the Lord. Keep them up. Keep them up. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. You can put your hands down. Anyone else here today, you say, I want to do it today. This is, a, this is a different moment for me. I know Jesus is showing me that I need him. If that's you today, raise your hand. If you haven't raised it, raise it up right now. Anyone else, just wave it at me. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to pray a prayer. And the Bible says that if you pray this and you believe it, that you will be saved. And we're going to pray it with you as your friends today. Let's all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me and you rose for me. And you're inviting me today to become your child. I'm so honored that you would love me. I give you my life today. Forgive me of my sins. I commit my life to you. I commit my life to your ways. And I give you all that I am. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand today. Thank you, Jesus. If you gave your life to Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to do me a huge favor. And everything in you is going to say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. Listen, listen, do it. All right? Because we want to help you take that next step. All of us have taken this step. We want to help you take that next step. Right in front of you is a connect card. If you can fill that out, or if you have a prayer request, you can also fill that out because we want to pray for you. So prayer request, or you've given your life to Jesus, fill that out. Check the box, give my life to Jesus, or fill it out, put your prayer request on there. When you leave, you can just leave them. There's some white buckets when you leave, and you can drop them in the white buckets, and we will pray for you, and we, we will reach out to you. Or if you don't want to do that, you can text SAVED to the number on the screen, and we will do the same thing with you. We'll get you those next steps. Let's all stand to our feet. My friends, I want you to know I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that we are gathering and worshiping God. I'm grateful for those online. And I'm believing for God's best. Listen, we, I'm believing for a tremendous year that's coming up. We got a couple months, a couple, you know, rocky months in front of us. And, you know, I don't know what's happening over the next three months. But anyway, I heard there's some important things. But we're, listen, I believe 2021 is a year of breakthrough for your lives. I really do. I, I really do, and I'm believing for it, and I just, I'm just asking God just to condition us and get us ready to be everything he's called us to be. There are some of you here today, you are called to plant a church. You're called to be a missionary. You're called to, to push the gates of hell backwards. There's some of you young people today, man, you've been putting all your energy into fighting for something, and at the end of the day, you're like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't, there's something in me, and I'm trying to find, listen, you know what that is? It's God's call on your life to be at the tip of the spear leader in the nations and in our, in our nation, and I'm telling you, God wants to do it and release you in 2021, amen? Let me pray for you. 
Father, I just pray you bless our people. God, encourage them, strengthen them. We say yes to everything that you say to us. God, bless them, lead them, guide them, open doors that only you can open, close doors that only you can close. Put opportunity before them that only you can put. God, I thank you for the call of God on their lives. Bless our families. Bless our marriages. Bless every finance um, issue that's going on right here. God, give prosperity. Give them wisdom. Lord, we rebuke the devourer over their life in Jesus' name. And may they leave here today feeling fresh and anointed of God to be the light that you called them to be. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a hand today.